Welcome everyone to 2023 season episode 37 of the Team Blaney podcast. My name is Adam Rogers and alongside me is co-host Steve Mez. As always, this podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been following the drivers of the Blaney racing family for two decades and Team Blaney itself launched on social media back in 2014. Now, each weekly episode of the podcast offers an in-depth analysis of Ryan Blaney's latest NASCAR Cup Series race, plus news, notes, and a lineup of special guests all throughout the year and steve that is exactly why we are here midweek the week of a victory at talladega super speedway to bring everybody a special bonus episode of the team blaney podcast that will also involve a special guest yes um i reach out to as many people as i can when they win a race because um, there are a lot of people behind the scenes that you don't get to hear about and um they're they're vital to the victory and um luckily uh, we've we've gotten good relationships with people at at Penske and Penske Racing and uh the 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 12 team and Jonathan uh, himself I I sometimes ask him uh for somebody to come on and um I didn't actually say who but Jonathan uh, picked this next guest and um it's going to be quite interesting uh to hear from him and hear about the how vital he was over the weekend and uh I think even Ryan has an opinion on on how vital uh he was over the weekend even right Yeah so let's go to uh Ryan Blaney's post race press conference uh where he talks a little bit about uh one aspect of the race that was very important uh to uh just the overall race at Talladega and also to the victory I think you saw the third lane more today than normal, and honestly, it's 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 honestly just a massive fuel mileage race now. I mean, where the stages are, the less time you can spend on pit road, you know, the better, and you gain your track position. You know, so literally the first stint of each stage, everyone's just saving gas. You know, I mean, I ran fifty percent throttle, damn near the whole first stint of each stage, just to save gas. So I'm on pit road less amount of time, take less gas, you jump the cars that are using more gas and when like the leaders of the uh, the bottom lane the middle lane start doing that uh, the third lane kind of develops because you have guys that are like well screw it i'm not gonna save i'm trying to get to the front and so i think that's why you have all these fluctuations and third lane goes middle goes it kind of fades and it's just it like depends on what, who's leading that lane who's saving fuel or not so Steve, we talked about that in the episode just a little bit and um, maybe kind of crushing some dreams on why they saw three wide racing all all day long. When you're at the track, it's still super exciting. I don't care what you say. It's plenty of eye candy and entertainment. Uh, But as Ryan said, fuel mileage is so important at super speedways. So if anybody out there hasn't guessed yet, we have bringing on a member of the Team Penske uh, 12 crew, and that's going to be Chris Conklin. He is the fueler or gas man for Ryan Blaney's number 12 Ford Mustang and Team Penske on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. And uh, he's the latest guest from that uh, number 12 pit crew to join us on the show. So, Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So it's a it's a perfect weekend to bring Chris on. They're fresh off a victory, second victory of the year for this number 12 team. So just to kick things off, we want to say congratulations on that big win this past week at Talladega. Yeah, thank you very much. That was that was a big one. 
Absolutely. And especially uh, in the midst of a playoff run here, uh, mm-hmm. it's been a little bit, a little while since that win at the Coca-Cola 600. So it has to really kind of give you guys some momentum going into this next round, especially kind of being locked in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we, we've had a couple, couple rough races leading up to it. So it was nice to, yeah, yeah. Like you said, build some momentum and, and uh, we're all on a, on a high right now. So that's good. So I think we're going to circle back a little bit to that that Talladega victory and everything that went into that a little bit later in the interview. But every time we bring on a crew member, we like to um, kind of give a backstory because I think it's really interesting to get you guys a little bit more spotlight, especially when it's a, a good spotlight, because sometimes it isn't always when people right. get to get to know your names. But when when they hear Chris Conklin, want people to know who you are. And uh, I like to say for a long time in NASCAR, you know, it's always been that weird thing where some people consider it a sport. Some people don't. Drivers, for the longest time, could be athletes, but they didn't have to be athletes. But in the modern era, in these pit crews, the pit crew members definitely have to be athletes. And that is totally your background. And from what I understand, that goes all the way back to to high school when you were kind of a multi-sport athlete. Can you talk a little bit about your your early years in high school and getting into athletics? And it seems like you sowed a lot of fields. You were in like basically everything you possibly could compete in. Yeah. Yeah. So, so high school was really busy because it was one sport to another. So I played football, basketball, baseball, um, ran a little bit of track as well when that would fit in. Um, didn't really play anything other than baseball until I was a freshman in high school. So, um, and I don't know what exactly drew me. I think my friends kind of drew me to basketball. So I picked up basketball and then, Football was just growing. So next thing you know, I'm 6'2", 230 as a sophomore. And, you know, it, football just kind of is where you would lean to. So, um, yeah, it, it's I've been athletic, uh, doing athletic sports for, you know, since freshman year of high school. Yeah. Now, from there, uh, mm-hmm. from your, your high school career, and I, from what I understand, you kind of played on different sides of the ball in football and kind of honed in on football a little bit. Um, talk about that transition. You were linebacker for a little while, and then you end up on the offensive side of the ball. And I think that's what you eventually end up getting recruited for when it goes to college and and professional sports. Yeah. So, um, started playing defense, uh, played varsity my sophomore year. It was my second year ever playing. I didn't switch to offense. So I didn't switch to tight end, which is the position they put me at until like six games left in the season, my senior year. Um, and we we weren't we were not really a pass heavy team, so I didn't get a lot of passes. But when I did catch the ball, I, I didn't get tackled very much. So, you know, I think I had like seven catches in six games for like six touchdowns or something crazy. Um, got recruited by a couple local schools, mostly um, Division two schools. Uh, had a couple D one like a East Carolina and App- Appalachian State, um, and they all recruited me for tight end. Like nobody recruited me for defense. Um, yeah, so I went I went to a few, you know, recruiting visits, um, ended up deciding on Wingate. They it seemed like home when I stepped on campus. And that's ultimately where I decided to play. It was also one of the few schools that paid for my education. So what was, what part of North what part of North Carolina did you grow up in, you know, as compared to like Charlotte and where all the race teams are? Are you, you know, are you on the coast? Are you all the way in in the mountains or nope. Nope. So I grew up like two hours away from the race shop now in Mooresville. 
Um, I grew up right outside of Burlington, North Carolina. It was, um, it's called Snow Camp, but nobody will know where Snow Camp is. So maybe if I said between Greensboro and Raleigh, that that's where I that's where I was at. Um, and yeah, so it's it's not too far away. And you know what's mm-hmm. crazy? I never even thought about this career, and mm-hmm. I, I'm just kind of right down the road. We're, we're getting guys now from other states, and and uh, it's just kind of wild how it all worked out. Yeah. Now you're you're at Wingate. Then you play college ball at Wingate. Wingate is how far from everything? I'm not sure where at North Carolina. Yes, yeah, so Wing- it's right outside of Charlotte. Is it okay? Yep. So Matthews is you know a, a town outside of Charlotte, and then Monroe is where Wingate is, which is the town right next to Matthews. So kind of Monroe, Matthews, Charlotte, and I was out that way. So that's uh, now we were reading about um, about your college days there and you actually had some interesting little connections toward the NFL to begin with so uh, there you played for for somebody in college that actually had a connection to the NFL and kind of helps you uh maybe get uh, those tryouts that you needed huh yeah you guys have done your research <laughs> um yeah so my my college football coach was Frank Wright uh little brother Joe so Joe Wright was the head coach at Wingate when I was and he still is now but um, so what's funny is Frank Joe's older brother, who is now the head coach of the Carolina Panthers was coaching the Indianapolis Colts at the time quarterback. So he was with Peyton Manning and that group. Um, he would come to practice, you know, in the off season and occasionally during the season. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that's the reason I even kind of got noticed by that league. Um, and then once he put the word out, it just kind of snowballed into, you know, next thing you know, you got teams every day coming out. So, yeah, it was it's, it's kind of a cool little story there. And now Frank's back in Charlotte. That's kind of that is kind of a cool thing. Yeah. He's, he's quite he was quite the college quarterback, and uh, he played pretty good in the pros too. But uh, yeah. um, we know him from uh, his days at Maryland. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he I think he beat Bernie Kosar that one game uh, if you remember right, Adam. <laughs> We don't want to talk about that. Um, So, Chris, can you talk a little bit about kind of the success maybe you had during your college career and when maybe you thought that you could have a shot at taking it to the next level and eventually making it possibly in the NFL? Yeah, I would would say my junior year, I kind of got a little glimpse that there's a possibility there. I was, um, you know, I put up some really good numbers my junior year. Um, Frank Reich actually pulled me aside one day at practice and told me that I could do it. And that, that leading into my senior year kind of motivated me. Um, what's funny is I remember the first day, the first scout came out and it was the Baltimore Ravens. And uh, I was actually not scheduled to practice that day because I was like kind of nursing an injury in my hand. Um, and coach Wright, Frank's younger brother, Joe Wright called me in my dorm <laughs> And told me, hey, Baltimore's coming today. You might want to suit up. So, and then it was funny because after that, it was just Colts are coming, Jets are coming, Panthers are coming down. So, um, my senior year was kind of, you know, I didn't get to skip practice very often. <laughs> A lot of seniors don't have to practice that much, but. <laughs> now, when it eventually gets down to time for the the NFL draft, mm-hmm. um, you had it sounded like you had an interesting draft night to where mm-hmm. there's a possibility that you were going to get drafted, but then mm-hmm. a, a different deal kind of ended up working out by the end of the night. Yeah. So the, the agent that um, I ended up signing with was out of Charlotte as well. So uh, his name was Robert Walker. 
So we were at his office for the second day of the draft. Not nobody he had was going to be a first day guy. It was kind of, you know, later round guys. Um, and so funny thing, the phone rings in the sixth round, right? And it's Carolina. They're calling. It's Coach Fox and the tight ends coach, um, who was the one that came to the pro day I had. But they called and said that they had a spot for me at like number 249, which is like three away from Mr. Irrelevant, you know, the guy that gets the Disney World Parade. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was good with, you know, I was good with that. I was like 249 sounds great to me. It is what it is. Well, we hang up the phone. It wasn't 10 minutes later they call back and they have a contract ready. So it's kind of weird how it works because they wanted to sign a undrafted free agent contract because they wanted that spot for another guy named uh, Jeff Schwartz from Oregon that they were afraid the team behind them was going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking back on it now, maybe I would have waited to see if somebody else would have called. But, you know, I was just I was 20 years old. Right. I was I was young. I was 17 my freshman year in college. So and it's right down the road. Right. I'm 30 minutes from the stadium right at that moment. So um, we signed the deal and uh, I was done in the sixth round. But, um, you know, funny thing is, when the draft was over, the phone rang with other teams. So I could have a choice of where I went. But, uh, you know, I was, you know, it is what it is. And it worked out fine. Well, a lot of those teams, when they do that, they're everybody's looking for whoever didn't get drafted and right. you know the only thing about that is what kind of opportunity do you get you know that's the only right. thing once you once you get there you know but um how does okay so that part happens where does nascar come in how do they where do they come from you know who actually spots you there and and says something to you that you might be able to, to work in nascar yep okay so um when i was at the panthers for the otas and the preseason and the training camp and all that stuff there was a assistant strength coach named Sean Powell. And I was the guy that would stay after and do extra work, right? Cause I'm trying to make the team. Um, and Sean Powell was the guy that would always stay after with me and help me and spot me and give me exercises to do and make sure I'm not going to hurt myself. Um, well, anyway, make a long story short, I got released in September or October of that year. And Sean Powell left the Panthers in December. So I'm bouncing around the league, right? I, I spent some time in New York and Green Bay. Well, Sean calls me because he knew I was from the area. I grew up in the area. Sean calls me. He had taken the coaching job, the strength coach job at Penske Racing. So he calls me and he says, hey, are you looking for a job? And I said, you know what? I'm actually going to New York tonight. I was actually on the way to go to New York Jets for a tryout. And uh, I said, well, yeah, I still kind of am. I'll let you know how this goes. Came back the next day from New York. So it was a one-day trip. Mm-hmm. I said, Sean, I think I'm coming to you. And, you know, I walked in the building and I got signed up that day. So that's that's kind of how it happened. I mean, it was just kind of a, you know, it was a God thing that I met Sean. And it was a God thing that I stayed after and, and spent time with him to make a relationship with him. Did you think at that point, um, so you had that opportunity to suit up, at least in the preseason, for your hometown team mm-hmm. now, i don't i didn't ask if you were actually a panthers fan growing up or not because i know it, it could be a little different as yeah. far as team allegiances go but was your did you think your nfl dream was over at that point or did you think oh, i'm going to do this for a little bit and then maybe I, i'll get a shot somewhere else eventually so you know it, it's kind of so when i got cut from the panthers i kind of went into like this mode to where i'd shut down a little bit i remember i hadn't ran in like a month right and uh 
the Packers call me. Jermichael Finley had gotten hurt, and they wanted to fly me up and, and have me fill his role for as long as he was hurt. Well, you know, again, I'm going to shorten this story way down, but I go out there and I run my 40 for him. I, just to put, I ran a 4.5 on my pro day, right? And I was about 255 to 260 pounds. I show up at the Packers, I'm 248, and I run a 4.8. That's what happened in a month. So, you know, like some, you know, I was in a bad spot when I got cut. I thought the Packers happened and I was like, you know what, maybe I can. I'll stay in shape. And if another opportunity comes up, I'll I'll be on top of it. Only one more opportunity came and that was with the Jets. And I spent the off season with them and then they let me go and, and the phone stopped ringing. So that was, that was it. So at that point, you kind of come back to Penske. Mm-hmm. You put mm-hmm. it off for a little bit. Uh, what was your first job there and you know what what crew were you working on what team were you working with so my first job um it was back when catch can was around i don't know if you guys remember the catch can and the gas yeah, can yep so uh the coach trent cherry who i i have a great relationship with and we we kind of hit it off really quick he got me on the at the time nationwide car and it was the 22 car that the year that discount tire came over so um we ended up winning the championship you know, I think I won five Xfinity and nationwide championships. Um, so I catch can for one year and then I got rid of catch can. I fueled for one year while I'm learning how to jack. And then I moved to jack for 11 years after that. So, so I've been doing this. It's my 15th year. So, um, yeah, first car was the 22 Xfinity car. And then Blaney came along and I've been with Blaney, you know, off and on my whole career. Talk a little bit about those those different jobs, because again, yeah. So you've you've done a catch can, which has gone away, but can you describe a little bit about what that is, the, yeah. what the responsibilities are for a fueler, and what the responsibilities yeah. are for being a jackman? Yeah. So the catch can guy used to be, um, if you go back and watch some old pit stops, it was the guy in the back of the car that would open the the vent to let the gas go in. Um, NASCAR got rid of that because he has back to everything, so they were kind of worried about safety issues there. Uh, and, and what was cool is you would plug it in and you grab the first can, the, the gas man would go get the second can. And it's, it's a cool stop. Um, gassing is exactly what it sounds like. How fast can you put the gas in the car? And can you be done before the other guys around you are done? Um, and then the jack man is the guy, you know, that lifts the car up and now puts the tire on as well. And then, you know, jacks the left side. So I, I did one year of the hanging a tire thing. But I, I'm also 6'4", and getting that low to put a tire on was not kind of what I was built for, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And now that would have been – was that have been pre-next gen too, right? So could you imagine hanging a tire now and as fast as it, as these oh, guys – as you got to move now? <laughs> Maybe when I was 25, I could probably <laughs> pull with it now. But now I'm, you know, 36. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, how has the the job of being the the gas man changed from the the old generation of car to the the next gen? Now I mentioned you know speed is like a big thing. They change the mm-hmm. tires much faster, and mm-hmm. I, it does look like you you do have to engage the can, get out of the way for the the guys to come back around and then and then yep. get back in again. So can you talk a little bit about the int- intricacies of what you have to do on a pit stop? Yeah, yeah, I can. So. Um... Yeah, the stop the stop has gotten about two or three seconds faster, um, and and there were times even when and the fuel cell has gotten bigger in the race car. So instead of eighteen gallons, it now holds twenty gallons. 
So it's taking more gas and the stop is two to three seconds faster. So I think you're seeing this shift in gas men that are kind of going towards the more athletic guys that can move their feet, but they also still have to be bigger guys, right? Because it's a hundred pounds of water weight that's kind of shuffling around the whole time you're moving. Um, yeah, it's been, so I never got to gas at the old stop, right? So I've been gassing since the, the one nut deal. And um, it, it would be hard for me to, to, you know, hard for me to compare the old way to the new way. I do know now it is very fast. So you can only get about three to four seconds out of that first can. So you're looking at six to eight gallons and then you only have 12 gallons left, right? So if it's an empty fuel run, like we saw this weekend in Talladega, like you got to get all the 12 or you're not going to fill the car up, right? So it's gotten to where you can't have, you can have some mistakes, but you can't have big mistakes anymore and get away with it. Now, um, this past weekend, we saw fuel only stops mm-hmm. and um, watching a couple different things, uh, different teams do things differently. But we noticed that on yours, you actually have somebody standing there just up further up the car. Mm-hmm. And um, he's he, who first off, who is that? And and their job literally is to catch you, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So so it's kind of an ongoing joke. It's Trevor Apsey. It's our it's our carrier. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an ex football guy, too. Right. So he's <laughs> he's probably looking to. You know, if he gets a chance, he's probably going to take me out. But um, <laughs> it might not end up the way he thinks it will. But anyway, so so really that guy is there to stop the can from leaving the pit box. So if whatever reason I, you know, don't pull it out in time or if Ryan, you know, turns the car out really quick, the can could get stuck. I think we've seen it a couple of times. Cans will go down pit road. And it's his job not to tackle me, but to make sure the can doesn't leave the pit box, <laughs> even though. I, I look at the uh, film now and I can tell he's clearly just trying to tackle me. He just wants to hit you. <laughs> he just wants to hit me. Yeah. It's like, what? Yeah. Reliving his high school football days or college football days. <laughs> yeah, um, he, he's, he was actually a really good college football player. So, you know, like it might not end up well for either one of us. <laughs> <laughs> now they, uh, this weekend you, you mentioned that something bad could happen and we saw uh, a can go down pit road uh, yeah. on the back end of the uh, 54 car. Um, have you had any incidents like that um, or anything that uh, any kind of things like we saw one that sparked up a fire a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago too. Have you had anything like that happen to you or, you know, no, no, no bad experiences. I have Both of them are knock on wood right now. Cause I, uh, Nope. Nope. So I, I just said that the other week that I have, I've never even felt nervous about it. So mm-hmm. like I've never had a can get stuck to where I was like, Oh, that was close. Um, but yeah, you see, I feel like we see it every week or two, right? We see a can get stuck and I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around how that happens. Cause I haven't felt it yet. Um, but no, I haven't been set on fire. I haven't, uh, sent a can down pit road or, or anything like that. So um yeah i've been i've been blessed on that end yeah who was it that tried i was say who was it that try and jump take the wrench off uh earlier this year when the wrench got stuck that was was trevor as well Uh uh-huh yeah yeah that was trevor yeah he He tried he tried to get it on the way out yeah yeah it was it was a heck of a uh attempt yeah he almost and if you look at the helmet cam from the changers like he is literally like you know a couple inches away from hitting that thing so yeah, he's a really good athlete, and he 
you know, he's done some impressive stuff this year. So speaking of the athletic side of this, um, you spend probably spent a lot of week, a lot of the week, like working in practice, but also probably in the, in the weight room and doing some other training. So what, what kind of training goes into, uh, into the week for being a member of a NASCAR cup series pick crew member? Yeah. So we practice Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, usually Tuesday is a film day and then a weight room day. Um, occasionally we'll be on the car doing some stationary drills or something that we might have saw the past weekend or something we want to look at for the next weekend. Uh, Wednesday and Thursdays are usually heavy pit stop days. Um, Wednesday, as far as in the gym, we're usually on the turf. We have a turf field at Penske that we'll run on and move around. Um, and then Thursday's back in like a weight room, but it's more of like a mobility day, right? So you got your Tuesday, you're lifting a little bit of weight. Um, Wednesday, you're moving around. And then Thursday, you're kind of doing some explosive stuff in the weight room. Um, and then Wednesday, Thursday is the practice heavy days. So, and then Friday, Saturday, you're off and you kind of, you know, gear up for Sunday. And there are, there are a few of us that go in there on Monday and get treatment done or like, you know, get a workout in or something, but yeah, it's pretty, uh, I mean, it's, it's a full-time deal. I think a lot of the fans are confused that they think we just show up to the racetrack on Sunday and, and do that, but it's, it's not like that at all. Right. We, we, you know, they're amazed we have a camera. Well, at practice, we have cameras on every corner of the car and on every head that has a helmet on. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're, we, we can see it from any angle you want to see it from. Um, and then we watch film, you know, a lot of them are surprised that we watch film, but we, we break film down and we time it. And, uh, yeah, it's very, it's very intricate. And, um, it has really gotten even more precise the longer I've been in it. Right. We did it way back then, but now it is like dialed in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you guys have to really like worry about where everybody is as they come running to the car, where the car stops and how you get around everybody. And sometimes you improvise like on the fly. And the only thing that really probably would help with that is more and more repetition. Right. Correct. That's that's absolutely right. We work on that too. We work on stopping long or stopping short or coming around cars or, you know, yeah, we do all that stuff. And and like you said, it's still that's where the athletic side of it kind of comes in some now, right? Like if um if he goes long, the faster the rear changer is, the quicker he gets to the car. And and it kind of just makes sense, right? You want a guy that's kind of faster and yeah, that, that's just kind of where the sport's headed. Now you have you mentioned all the things you do during the week, but you actually have another job at Penske too, correct? I do. Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah so I work in the parts room as well. Yeah. Sure and um, what kind of stuff uh, week to week you're dealing with there? You know, you pretty much like have to make sure everything uh, comes in. Are you working with just the, the uh, cup cars? You're working with uh, the Indy side or. Yeah, just, just the NASCAR side. So um, when we had the Xfinity card, work with the Xfinity car too, but uh, pretty much my job title is um i work i work a lot with the engineers so if they release a project that they want to implement on the car or they want to like a um a pit crew tool or something for the gun or something for the jack um i kind of see that whole thing through so what i'll do is they'll send it out this is what we're you know send the print out this is what we're thinking and it'll be my job to find out where we order it from who needs to order it when it gets here it comes to me then I build it out of the parts room. I take it to whoever wants it. You know, when they build it up, it comes back to me and then I deliver. You know, I'm like the middleman, I guess you could say. It starts here and then it ends back. 
So that that's kind of my thing. And um, we have people that work the counter and we have purchasing department and and shipping and receiving, but that's pretty much my role. How has that job changed maybe between the past generation of car and then the next gen car where almost all the parts are having to be purchased and bought instead of being made in house? Exactly. Yeah, it's changed a lot. So we used to be um used to be chassis pulled, right? You would get this big sheet of all this tubing and sheet metal you would have to get. Um and you would it would take you two days to pull it. Right. So now it's a little bit different because a lot of the projects that we get are more tooling or it's like a uh, a wind tunnel car, um, just little stuff we can add or make lighter or tweak just a little bit. But you're right, it's totally different than what it used to be. I mean, man, we used to, we'd have so much metal in the back of the parts room. And uh, every time we, you know, we'd have a wreck or something the week before, we'd be pulling body parts to replace that that car it's not like that anymore we just order it shows up goes out it's not quite the same we don't have a lot of stock in the parts room anymore so obviously you you kind of grew up went through school your dream at that point shifted to the nfl you probably Mm -hmm. dreamed of playing in the super bowl one day winning a ring that didn't happen but you get to nascar you've had a like you said about a 15 year career as a member of the pit crew and, and working with team Penske, you mentioned you won multiple Xfinity series, nationwide series level championships. But in 2018, you're on the crew for Joey Logano and uh, Todd Gordon is crew chief. And you guys go out there and you win the cup series championship, which is, you know, the pinnacle of motorsports in the U S especially when it comes to stock cars. So would, what, can you just talk about that a little bit? And like, you know, it's hard to, for us to, who haven't achieved success like that to wrap our heads around that, but it's like, you've worked so hard for so long and then you make it to the pinnacle of, of this sport and you get to celebrate uh, in victory lane with the championship. Yeah. Yeah. So 2018 was the first year they took away a carrier. So that's the first year that we had to actually hang tires. Remember how I told you I'm not built for that. Right. <laughs> so I did, I did make like, I was on Joey's car, um, 2018, and I actually got moved off that car in the last, maybe the last round or two or three races. We have a guy at, at still Jack Sports now, he jacks Joey's car now, named Graham Stoddard. And uh, he was just better than I was. And when it got closer to championship time, they had to put the best guys they had on the car. So Graham actually went in. I went to Jack Blaney's car for a couple races. And then, yeah, I mean, I did get to celebrate the championship. I was just as happy as anybody. I wasn't ill towards them. I wanted the best for the company. And I was all about, let's put our best foot forward. You know what I mean? My body was hurting, right? I wasn't as good as the other guy. And, uh, but yeah, it was like, I remember calling my wife after the race and it was like so emotional. Like, you're right, because you worked so hard, especially with that stuff, because I was learning to hang a tire. I'd never done it before. And, uh, yeah, so I mean, you're right. It was it was like I don't know how you topped that. Even though I wasn't on the car that won, right? I did the 34 races leading up to it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was just like this big relief. Like, oh, I'll just go to Gaston now. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're on Logano's car for that that period of time. 
Um, you mentioned you've bounced between cars a couple of times, but Todd Gordon eventually does go over and the whole crew mostly just shifts over to, to pit Ryan's car. Mm. What was it like, you know, I don't know how long you were with, with Joey, but what's it like kind of changing drivers and, um, getting used to maybe a little bit, some drivers take more of a leadership role than others, but, um, was it an easy transition to kind of switch between cars or was it kind of, you know, did it kind of throw you off a little bit? Um, it was easy for me because I had been with Ryan so much. Right. So I, I did Ryan when he was on the Wood Brothers. I jacked his car for the Xfinity series. Um, yeah, his first cup seasons, I was his jack man. So when we got moved over, it was it was great by me. Right. Like I love Joey and I love Ryan. So it was a win win. Just put me, you know, play me where you want to play me. But, you know, just just play me. <laughs> so I don't care where I'm playing. Just play me. Um but yeah, I, I know some of the guys that were on Joey's car for long term before that had a tough time, and it took them a while to get over that. But uh, and some of the guys are still on Ryan's team now that were on Joey's team, and um, I think they're you know I think they're happy now. I think they realize that you know Ryan's a stud, and and we got just as good a chance as anybody out there every week. So um, yeah, it was it was tough. I'm glad they brought Todd too, right? I'm glad it wasn't just the pit crew or or just the road, you know, some weird swap. I'm glad everybody came together. So that made the transition even a little bit easier. They even changed truck drivers. So, I mean, it was a whole, whole shift. So uh, being in professional sports, especially in the spotlight, and I mentioned sometimes the spotlight when you guys are in it isn't always under the best circumstances. And your front tire changer, Ryan Flores, has mentioned before that pitting the 12 car in the Cup Series is one of the hardest teams and cars to pit as far as it as maybe the public perception can be sometimes. Like it feels like you guys are under a microscope because of things that have happened in, in the past. Yeah. Can you talk about that that pressure at all? And and do you do you stay off social media? Do you even let any of that noise in your head, or do you just kind of focus on your job week to week? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get on social media. I don't have one. And um, you know, it's it's kind of an ongoing joke with all of us on the team that we know it's out there. And um, you know, it just feels like we we had a bad rap for a while. Like like luck was not on our side, and it was the craziest stuff too, right? It was like a sign falling off a pole, or it was like spinning out coming up on the racetrack, or it's something crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, me personally, I don't I don't feel any extra stress because of it. You know, I'm going to put my best foot forward no matter what. So I've gotten to this point now to where I'm going to try my hardest. If it goes my way, great. If it doesn't, that's okay, but it ain't going to be because I didn't try, right? So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't feel any extra pressure with that. I want to do my best every time I go out there, and uh, people are going to say what they want to say, and it's, it's not easy. It's really not easy now that it's, you know, to stop. It is so. Yeah. With um, this past weekend, you know, uh, being gas only stops. How is that different than a regular stop? Um, are you listening for, I mean, like who tells you when to disengage from the car or are you counting? Like they say five seconds of fuel. Yeah. Are you counting it yourself or is Jonathan counting it? I mean, how's, how's that kind of work? Cause I know it's a regular pit stop. You go, you go over there and you know, you're going to put the whole can in or whatever, but you know, how does, how does a fuel only stop work? Yeah. So Jonathan will be the one that counts it. 
Um, and, and he's up there with Tony, with Palmer, and they are deciding how much gas they need. So my, my job at the bottom of the box or on the floor level is not to decide how much gas we need to make it to the stage or make it to the end of the race or whatever it is. Um, they report to me how much they need. And we've got a calculation now to where we know if we need eight gallons of gas to make it, then we need four seconds of gas. All right. So when the car comes in, uh, Jonathan or, or Hassler will get on the radio and he will count down from four. So as soon as my can goes in, it will be four, three, two, and then and then Blaney's gone on one. Um, that's that's pretty much how we operate. And, you know, we, we we've experimented with other stuff, but that's what we always come back to. Yeah. You like to I mean, you mentioned that you don't feel necessarily extra pressure from the outside but when you come to a track uh like a super speedway track where you're getting a lot of stops like this and you kind of know that you know for much of the day it's it's all on you um does, does that you know motivate you or does it make you nervous at all just knowing that you know you're kind of the center of attention when it comes to races yeah. like this yeah so i've always said this ever since i've been gassing is there's a nervousness that comes with jacking Right. Like when you're going out there with four other guys and you're going to try to perform your job, there's nervousness with that. But you don't know nervous in racing until you have a gas only. I promise you, you don't know it. So there's something about everybody talking and everybody looking at you and you're the only one that can mess it up. <laughs> yep. So, um, yeah, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't more um, awareness to it, maybe. I, I don't wouldn't say I get nervous as in like um, I'm shaking or like I'm like, oh, my gosh. But, yeah, I would say that super speedways, there's definitely a different approach mentally for me. Um, just knowing that, hey, pretty much every time we come down, it's going to be on how fast can I go? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I would I would say there's definitely a different mindset for speedways for a fueler or a gas fan than it is for you know, a Darlington or a, you know, Martinsville or something for sure. And I have to imagine that those nerves in some instances with the, the way that some of these races can go into multiple overtime situations, uh, the nerves don't yeah. end when the pit stop ends. You're, you're probably really nervous to make sure, all right, we yeah. know we can make it to the end of the first overtime, but after that, yeah. it's it's going to get a little hairy. Yeah. So I've been, yeah, that, that, that's what really makes me nervous. Not so much to perform it, right? Like I, I'm okay if I go hundred percent and something happens, what makes me really nervous is not knowing if we're going to make it or if we're like one lap to the good. Right. And it's kind of depending on how much gas Blaney saves. So it's kind of out of my hands at that point. I would say I probably get more nervous for that. I think you're right. That's where Palmer so- for Tony yeah. Paul the man, you know yeah. what I mean? Like he he's he's on it. So different crew members that we've talked to, um, you took a, a little bit of a different path into the sport. Uh, some people on the mechanic side have talked about, oh, you know, they lived up north and they they decided to pack their bags and they're going to go to North Carolina. They sleep on somebody's couch and they eventually get you know an opportunity. Um, in this modern era of being on a you know a high level pit crew, you know, do you have any advice for people that? might want to get into this sport and would you encourage other, you know, ex athletes that maybe didn't, didn't make it to the next level in their sport to, to try to get into the, the recruitment recruitment zone for one of these, these race teams. 
Yeah, so I would say that, you know, my, my word of advice would be, it's kind of hard because I almost feel like you have to know somebody. And I, and I, I say that kind of lightly, but I feel like that's how majority of people get into the sport, right? They've got a family member that worked in the race shop. They've got a friend that's on a pit crew. They got a friend of a friend that is a pit crew guy. Um, I know we have a pit school that you can, you know, you can pay to go to. And and we have gotten a couple guys from that place that, that did really well. Um, I would say if that's not the route you want to go to where you want to go live on somebody's couch and, and pay for a school, I would say best thing you can do is probably network your butt off, go to Charlotte Motor Speedway and just talk to people. Right. That would be that would be my word of advice. And as far as athletes go, I would say, heck, yeah, it's a great career. I mean, you, you get to kind of it's it's not going to be what you had. Right. It's not going to be baseball, football, basketball, soccer. It's not going to be any of that stuff, but it is competitive and you're still part of a team and you get that aspect of it. And it, and you can make a good living um, and there's pressure that comes with it. And most athletes like that feeling. You know what I mean? Um so I would definitely say if you're an ex-athlete and you're looking for a career choice, this is not a bad one. Um, well, I think that pretty much wraps it up. We really want to thank you for, for yeah. giving us the time and talking with us. I mean, the only other thing I would really say is, you know, you guys are locked into the round of eight in 2023 here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do have one more race after, you know, to before we go into that portion of the season. But what's your outlook uh, for this 12 team and Ryan Blaney the rest of the year? Uh, we're going to win this thing. I think I think we're going to I think we're going to we're going to win one of the next three. And I don't know which one because he's good at all three. And he is bad to the bone at Phoenix. I If I was another driver, I would not want him in that race. Yeah. So unless he gets wrecked for three weeks in a row. Like if we get to Phoenix, we'll we'll win. That's my outlook. And it's weird how that, that shifted this past week, right? Yep. So we were we were kind of all down and out and like, hey, if we don't finish good here, we're gonna have to win at the Roval, and that's kind of a crap shoot. And and then we won, and then it's like, man, we can win this whole thing now. Let's go do let's just do that. Right? Let's just wipe out the past few races and let's just go win the whole thing. That's right. Unfinished business, right? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's a that's a good one. If we if we bring that same car we had last year, we'll be a okay. Right. Absolutely. We're here for it. Yeah. That'll well, be a Chris, party. we're big fans now of you for sure, and uh, we <laughs> wish you and the one two crew uh, all the luck the rest of the way, and go get that championship. And uh, thanks sure. for thanks for your time. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you very much, guys. It was great meeting you, Steve. You know we interviewed several members of the crew at this point over the last couple of years we've had you know crew chiefs engineers road crew members all of them have given amazing perspective but the one perspective we've been missing so far and hopefully in the future we'll get even more is a member of the over the wall pit crew and it was so great to have chris uh, conklin on with us and i just feel like he answered the question so well gave us some really great insight and uh, especially just to his specific position, because it's really easy just to think, you know, all the fuel man does is pick up gas cans and that's it. Uh, but these guys are training hard all week long. Sometimes they have full time jobs uh, doing other things with the race teams. And, um, you know, he didn't make it in the NFL like he maybe thought he would. But I still feel like he's kind of living the dream. 
yeah, it was a, uh, it was great. To, uh, thank Thanks again to Jonathan for setting that up for us. Um, it was great to have him on to hear that insight and, um, just makes you want to root for them guys even more when we learn more about them and, and, and how good they are. And, and it really says a lot about the character that they have. And, um, you know, can't wait to see how they do these next couple of weeks and we're with him these next, yeah. uh, next couple of weeks. They're going to go, just go win it all. Absolutely. And I just, I mean, I like this, what you said about rooting for him because we try to say all the time that this is a team sport. It's really easy to get just caught up in the fact that you're rooting for a driver. It's all about Ryan. And obviously we're huge fans of Ryan Blaney, but it is such a team sport. And this pit crew means so much. And especially this victory at Talladega, you know, if he makes a a mistake here or there during that race, you know, Ryan uh, could have lost track position and never got the checkered flag. So he executed a perfect race. They ended up in victory lane. They're onto the round of eight. And it was just so interesting to learn, uh, Chris's story. And yeah, we're really thankful that he came on to talk with us. And we're really glad that we were able to help share his story with all of our listeners out there. Um, but yeah, so hopefully everybody enjoyed this extra bonus episode. I want to thank you once again for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about myself or co-host Steve, just listen to our very first episode that explores our Blaney racing fandom. You can interact with us on Facebook and X at Team Blaney and on Instagram and TikTok at team.blaney and as always i'd like to encourage you to support the ryan blaney family foundation uh this organization was established in 2018 and supports causes like the alzheimer's association and upmc sports medicine through fundraisers events and membership in the blaney bunch fan club to learn more visit ryan blaney family foundation.org or follow them on facebook x instagram all of their active social media channels but for now and for my co-host steve mez I'm Adam Rogers. We'll catch you next time right here on the Team Blaney Podcast. Good night, Brussels. Check out the TikTok. Well, thanks everybody for coming. I hope you enjoyed it.